Uh, my name is Eric, one of the pastors here at River West, pastor of Community Life, um, sometimes referred to as a Sunday night pastor. And um, so I'm here a lot on Sunday nights. It's great to be here with you and to open up the Word together. In fact, if you would like a Bible, we'd love you to have a Bible. Um, so there's some ushers who were are willing and glad to hand that out to you. If you want to just slip up your hand, they will hand you a Bible. Or you can fire it up on your phone or whatever. Um, great to see you. We're in a um, series on Colossians. We're going to continue to dive into that, um, that great book tonight. Earlier this week, uh, our pastoral team went on a, um, a bit of a retreat together. Uh, we try to do this regularly to connect with each other and to pray, um, to laugh together, to experience times of solitude and silence. We have great conversations together. It's a time to build our team. Um, coincidentally, this year there was a ping pong table at the house we stayed at, which was mostly an opportunity for me to dominate my friends pastors, including the one sitting in the back of the room, Colin, and uh, Adam McMurray's not here tonight, and there's a reason why, because he experienced a lot of shame. But it's great, you know, to be together, we get these, these, these um, experiences where we get kind of away from the office, and, and together we, we sit, and, um, and we really learn from the Word together. We devote ourselves to prayer and uh, this, in, in this retreat this week, we spent a lot of time in the book of Colossians, which we've been studying together as a community. We've been, um, several of us on the preaching team have been, you know, preaching Colossians to you guys, but then we got to spend this time preaching it to ourselves. It was deeply, deeply impactful, impactful as we kind of sat at the feet of the Apostle Paul to learn from him, to hear his heart. And one of the things that happens um, in each of these retreats, every single time we, we open up the word together, we see God's heart for, for people and for community, for gospel, and then experiencing that together as a team, God's heart, uh, Paul's heart in, in Colossians, it, it becomes our heart as well. And so we, we had this rich time together looking at the word um, being shaped and changed by it, and, uh, and it was really powerful. And last week, uh, Pastor Christopher, not a ping pong player, um, preached um, out of Colossians, the end of Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29, and, um, and it was an amazing time. You probably heard him tell stories. If you were here about a ministry partner that we have in Myanmar named Pastor Nopum, um, his heart, um, his desire to, to spread the gospel throughout Myanmar, and, um, and we also looked at Paul's heart. Paul, the missionary, Paul, the apostle, who's committed to spreading the gospel all over the world, particularly committed to preaching the gospel, gospel to Gentiles who'd never heard of Jesus. This is, this is his mission. This is last week we saw Paul in his missionary zeal, his desire to preach the gospel. And then this week, and we're treating this as kind of a two-part mini-series within the series. If, if last week was Paul the missionary, this week is Paul the pastor. You know, last, last week we hear about Paul and his, his desire to spread the word but this week, we're going to look at Paul's desire that the word would spread in a community of people. It would continue to grow. 
In verse 28 of of Colossians 1, um, Paul expresses that his desire is that the believers would become mature in Christ. So it's not just getting the gospel news out there so people can accept it. And, And that certainly is important, but he is also desiring that a community of people would live it out. Paul's desire for the Colossians church increasingly has become my desire for our gathering on Sunday nights. That we would agree and believe with what the gospel says, but also that we would grow in living it out together. That's why we share a meal together. That's why we open the scriptures together. That's why we come to the communion table together, because in community we experience the gospel in significant and profound ways. So we're going to look at that together tonight. And our theme for tonight is going to be the idea of maturity in community. Paul, as we'll see in the scriptures tonight, says that he's struggling and he's striving and he's even agonizing for this community of people. He's committed to them. It's interesting that Paul doesn't really even know these people that he writes to, to the Colossians church. He hasn't really even met them. But he's so committed to the gospel so committed to seeing it spread and and take over people's lives and communities that he's struggling for people that he doesn't even know. And it's a beautiful thing. So would you turn with me to Colossians 2, starting in verse 1. We'll read together. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ." Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul, as we saw back in verse 28, is desiring that this group of people would grow in maturity and then in our passage tonight, he's, he's expressing, um, he's describing a certain kind of life. I bet, and I, and I hope that some words maybe jumped off the page for you as I was reading just now. A few words that really describe the kind of life that Paul's getting at. Did you notice the word encouraged, love, assurance, understanding, wisdom, knowledge, order, faith? Rooted, built up, established, thankful. Regardless of where you're at faith-wise, maybe this Jesus thing is completely new to you, or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I bet when you hear those words, if you're like me, like I read those words this week and I said, can I get some more of that? Can I get some more encouragement in my life? Love. We have a desire for assurance knowledge. We want to grow. We want to be rooted. We want faith. We want to be built up. We want to be thankful. 
Paul describes a certain kind of living, a certain kind, uh, a certain way of being human. And he's saying, I long for you. This group of people says, I long for you to live this way. And these words, they jump out at us and, and, and stir up, I think, and I hope, a desire to say, how am I going to get that? How am I going to find that? How am I going to discover that? How am I going to grow into that? And for Paul, this passage, I think very uniquely, we're going to spend so much of our time in verse 2 tonight. And, and, and Paul starts by talking about the heart. I don't know if you noticed that, but he is talking about their hearts I had no idea how hot that tea was going to be, so I was very careful as I drank it. Starting about the heart. In the scriptures, when it talks about the heart, it's not talking about the organ that pumps blood throughout our bodies. It's not talking about like our physical heart. The heart is, um, as many have said, the heart is the center of one's will and emotions. It's like saying our core, it's like saying our desires, our, our longings, the, what we live out of is our heart. And Paul is saying in this passage, he's saying, I'm, I'm longing that your heart would be encouraged. He says, this is what I want from you. You know, the word that we translate encouraged is, is, is a good word. I mean, encouragement is obviously a great word um, but there's, a, there's kind of a wide spectrum of, of what that Greek word that we translate, our Bibles translate encourage, could mean. It's, it could be, on the one hand, it could be comfort. This idea of, of um, emotionally feeling comforted. I think about with my kids, sort of freaking out, and I put my arm around them, hopefully to calm them down, comfort them. could mean encouragement, speaking something true to them. Or, the word can mean strengthened. And I believe because of the way this whole passage in the book of Colossians is ordered, that strengthened is actually the best word to describe what Paul is longing for. He is longing that they, their hearts would be strengthened, that their hearts would be strong. It's inner strength something that we all long for, something that we desire. Paul's saying, I, I want you to experience inner strength. Why? Because it's a sign that you're maturing in Christ. As I was studying and reading this part of the passage this week, I said, I got to think about like who has inner strength. And then immediately my friend Adam, Noah, who's sitting up here, his, he came to my mind, which is always good when like you think, it says something about that person when you're like, who has inner strength? Adam. It was like the first person I thought of within three seconds. You know, Ad, Adam's one of my great friends, and, and he, um, we have a, you know, we're, we work together here, so we spend a lot of time together, had a lot of great conversations. And part of Adam's story is that he, he lives with a disease that causes his body to fail him in significant ways, great challenges in his life. And yet, and yet, the moment I thought of the word inner strength, this first person to come to my mind. In the conversations that we have when, when we talk, Adam's a person that he just oozes encouragement 
kind of wells up from within him. He's positive. He's the good in people. And not just in like a, a vague, like hippie kind of way, but it's because his understanding of God's love for him, it's because of his, his belief that people are made in God's image, it, it gives him an inner strength so that he can live with the challenging experiences that he has in such a way that his inner strength shines in the midst of suffering. And I believe fully that that's what Paul is talking about. When he writes to these group of people, he says, I'm, I'm longing for this. That word um, struggle that we see in, in verse one, it's close to our word agony. He's like, you need to get inner strength. And we're like, yeah, where? And then he moves on. He moves on. He moves from the heart to their mind. Did you notice that? Some of those words that stuck out, verse two and throughout the passage, he talks about understanding. He talks about knowledge, assurance. What's he talking about? He's talking about our minds. Paul's work in, in life is to serve people in such a way that their minds are steadily growing. That their minds are beginning to understand what, what he says here. Um, they find assurance in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. It's a strange sounding statement. You know, we read that and I'm like, what? I'll sum it up for you this way. He wants them to find their assurance in the gospel. He's saying, I want your mind to be filled with gospel truth. You know, we, we, um, we fill our minds with a lot of things. There's a million self-help books, self-betterment. Betterment may be a word I made up. I still don't know. We, have, um, we fill our minds with all these things. We, we can gain information within seconds. I thought today I could figure out the lifespan of an elephant on my phone within three seconds. You know, we can, we can just learn things quickly and often. And I think also because it takes so little effort to learn things because of our access to information, we forget them completely. Like, I, I, I perpetually feel dumber for having a smartphone. Maybe you feel me on that, you know? It's like, I can learn all these things and then forget them four seconds later. This is... This is what happens when, um, when we're just concerned about information. But the gospel, and we're going to talk about what that is in, in just a moment. The gospel is more than information. It's transformation. It's power. This is how we can think about what, what the gospel is. The gospel that Paul desires that their minds would be filled with. We could put it this way. The gospel is all that God has done in Christ for salvation. It's a huge statement, certainly not unpacked entirely. But Paul is saying, oh, I want you to fill your minds to the point that you grow in your assurance and your knowledge of all that God has done for you in Christ for salvation. He says, that, put that in your mind. 
Because that's not useless information. That's not something that goes in and that goes out. That's something that can grab a hold of your mind and can cause you to think and see the world in a vastly different way than most do. He says, and I I want the gospel to go down into your hearts. So not just that you think differently, but that you love and desire differently. Paul's saying, this is what I want from you. Inner strength. Strong minds. That change us. Change everything about us. And we read that and we think, that's, I need that. I want that. You know, I, I believe fully in everything that I've said to you so far. Everything that we've seen in this passage. But truly, if, if we've missed something that I think we often miss um, in our understanding of our Christian faith, if we just end by saying, you know, you, you need your heart to grow. And you need your mind to grow. And there's been many, many books written about how that can happen and why that needs to happen and, and, and what happens. But tonight, I actually want to talk about where that happens. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to find an environment, a place where God can do this in us? And the answer is, is you're sitting in it. Right in the middle of verse 2, there's this amazing little phrase that we can just kind of jet through and and we're not going to tonight. We're going to spend some time in it. In verse 2, Paul says, as, as we've read, that their hearts may be encouraged. And then he says this, being knit together in love. I like the translation. Maybe, maybe the translation that you have says, united in love. You know, we'll read a passage like this, and we're like, this is amazing. And then we're talking about the heart and talking about assurance, and then we're just like, let's skip over that weird kind of poetic thing. But actually, that thing is essential to any of these other things happening. Paul would have, it would have been foreign to him that there would be the chance that you would grow in assurance and knowledge and, and that your heart would grow and your mind would be strengthened apart from this idea of being knit together or united in love. It's crucial. It's essential. And we're going to go Bible study style for like a few minutes. So I need you to like focus. Can you do that with me? I'm going to put um, something on the screen. This is verse two. I believe this will be helpful. Actually, it's the slide that, that represents verse two. People will often read verse two and they'll think that Paul is talking about sort of this fourfold idea that he has for people. Here's like four nice things that could happen in your life. And so we'll read the verse like this. Paul's struggle is that their hearts may be encouraged or strengthened and that they would be united in love. Also, that they may reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and that they may gain the knowledge of God's mystery, the gospel. So he's kind of like disconnected, like this would be nice, this would be nice, this would, like all of these things would be nice. And this is why I think we can gloss over point number two 
united in love because it seems like filler, you know, before the good stuff. But, and, and I'm not making this up, many scholars believe that actually the, the verse in Greek would be translated something more like this. I'll put them both on the screen. Let's go to the next slide. We've read the top part, but this is how it actually reads. Paul's struggle is that their hearts may be encouraged as they are united in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Just a couple words that are slightly different, but do you see, do you see the difference? Actually, what we see in this passage that we long for, the assurance and the understanding, the encouragement, knowledge of God's mystery happens as we're united in love. This is incredibly important because often we go, we, we pursue maturity in a number of ways. People pursue maturity, self-improvement by finding it in themselves. I'll just be more loving. I'll connect more to the universe or whatever, you know. That's one approach apart from God. Another approach, truly a better approach, would be to grow through having a personal relationship with Jesus, but emphasis on the personal, you know what I mean? Which is me and Jesus. I'm reading the word, I'm doing devos, I'm seeking to grow in my faith, me and Jesus. But it's apart from being united in love. And because of that, I think this is why people get worn out in their faith. Because it's either they're, they're doing this all on their own, or maybe they're just doing this. Me and Jesus are going to figure this out. But Paul, is, he, is the point of this passage is that his intention for the church in Colossae and, and for our church is that we would grow in maturity in community. That's his intention. That's his desire. That's how this works. It's not just a kind of vague idea of community, of people getting together every once in a while, potlucking or something. But a community that, he says, is, is um, unified in love. A community that's committed to the gospel teachings. A community that centers around the word he's saying, in that type of community, you'll experience maturity. Maturity always grows in community. You know, when I, I'd, my, my wife and I would like our children to mature. They are seven, four, and one. So we, we would really like for them <laughs> to mature. And also we'd like to mature. But when we're talking about maturity, we're not talking about like, it'd be great if they just sat in the room and were quiet and just sort of nodded at us when we walked by. When we talk about maturity, we're talking about the way our kids treat each other. We're talking about the way they interact with their friends and with their teachers, our desires that that would be respectful. Our desire would be that that would um, be positive. Our desires that our kids would contribute 
to the needs of our household. It's a strong desire of mine that they would contribute, do the dishes, put the clothes on, something, you know? So maturity is not just, oh, he's like cool out there by himself. Maturity is, it grows and, is in, as, and also is expressed in a community. It's where it's tested, right? Our, 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 our growth and maturity in Christ is tested when we start interacting with people. We start getting into each other's lives and we start hearing each other's stories and we start serving together. It's when we begin to see how God is maturing us. This is the way it works. This is what Paul longs for for these people, that they would grow in community. They'd receive strength and comfort from him in community. Did you notice what Paul says in verse 4? We'll get into this a little bit more next week. But in verse 4, Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. It's sort of like, what? What are you talking about? Paul's, what he's, what he's talking about here is, um, what we need to know is that, as we said before, Paul doesn't know these people personally, hasn't interacted with them personally. But Paul knows well a guy named Epaphras who was their pastor. Paul knows him. And Epaphras has interacted with Paul and Epaphras says, you know, there's, there's kind of, there's danger that, that a different gospel is coming into the community, a different way to experience God other than Christ. And like I said, we'll, we'll explore that more fully. And, and Paul gets wind of this. And it's interesting, the way he talks about keeping these people encouraged and strengthened in their faith is by keeping them together. Is by them being united together. How many people have, have gone off the rails because they've removed themselves, they've isolated themselves from other Christians? And, and Paul, before he talks about what has gone on, or potentially gone on at the Colossian church, he says, you need to stay together. You need to be united and strengthened in love together. He'll go on to say, I'm not with you in body, but, but I am in spirit. He says, and I long to see your good order and firmness of faith. As Paul writes, he's not saying, I'm going to show up and interview you all and check in on your prayer life. He says, I'll know how you're doing because of the community that you're in. I'll know how your faith is doing by the way you treat each other, by the order that I see the way that you love each other, united in love. See how this works together? The community is centered on the gospel and the gospel is transforming the community and transforming the individual. But that maturity isn't, isn't designed to be specifically us on our own trying to get better. It actually happens in relationship with each other. And so then we get to verses six and seven of chapter two and I'll read it to you this way. Verses six and seven, Paul says, therefore, as you together received Christ Jesus the Lord, 
so walk in him together. Rooted and built up together in him, established together in the faith. Just as you together were taught, abounding in thanksgiving one more time together. And that's how our passage comes to an end. You know, we read the Bible, we're, we're meant to read the Bible, study the Bible in community. So Marianne leads a, a, a community of women through, her, through the Bible study, the river. So that in community together, united in love, we come under God's word and we grow. That's why we want each person at River West to be plugged in somewhere. My, my role, part of my role here is, is community life pastor is um, to encourage what we call growth group leaders, uh, these groups that gather together throughout the week. But really, like this summer, I'm, we need to start some more growth groups because I bet there's a lot of you that are disconnected. You're not a part of a group that, that is studying the word, that is united together in the gospel of Jesus. This is a great environment to grow in that. Truly, this is a powerful place to grow in that. But there's something unique, there's something powerful about a smaller group of people who share a meal together and sit in each other's home. Maybe there's kids running around or something, I don't know. Maybe a highly inconvenienced but a group of people that's saying we're committing to being together. We're unified in Christ. We're in each other's lives. We're learning from each other. We're going deeper into the word that we, that we learn on Sundays. That's my desire. So maybe some of you need to join a group. Maybe God's calling some of you to lead a group. But we believe increasingly that, that Paul's heart here for the church, that they would be united in love, it's, it's becoming, for our, for our pastoral team, increasingly our desire. And before it was Paul's desire, it was Jesus' desire. We're going to end tonight looking at John chapter 17. This is, um, this is a prayer that Jesus prayed. It's referred to often as the high priestly prayer. It's a prayer Jesus prayed at the very end of his life, literally moments before he would be betrayed and arrested and then crucified. Jesus has gathered his disciples together. He's teaching them his final words. And he ends by praying to his father, but he knows that they're listening to him. And I want you to just, you can turn your eyes to the screen. I want, you to, but I want you to listen to how Jesus prays at the end of his life. John 17, it starts in verse 20. Jesus says, I do not ask for these, not just for the 12 only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, 
that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. What is unity in love? What does it mean to be united in love? The first thing we need to know is that's the heart of God. That's Jesus's final prayer. When he prays for the churches that will eventually be planted, when he prays for the church in Colossae, and I believe wholeheartedly when he prays for many years later, River West Church to be formed, he says this, I pray and I long for them to be one to be united by the love of God in Christ. To grow in that love together. And as that happens, individuals at a core level are going to find strength. Minds that are constantly wandering will become more strong, will become more clear. Our vision will be more clear as we commit to community, as we give ourselves to serving together, to loving one another. That's where we experience the growth that we long for. And so tonight, I want you to know that your pastors are deeply committed to that. We're working for unity. We're committed to unity. We're committed to this place being a healthy place for you to grow in your faith. But the real question is, are you? Will you join us in that? Together, working towards a place where we can grow maturity in Christ together, joining him in his mission in the world We're running out of space. We're running out of leaders downstairs for kids' ministry. What a great way to commit yourself to others growing in their faith. Holding some babies, some moms and dads can sit in here. We need people to smile as you walk through the door. Our our greeter team has taken a hit in the past few weeks. We need more people. More people to to welcome each other as we walk into the room. Contrary to popular belief, these chairs do not magically appear this way between the 11 a.m. service and Sunday night. Can you move a chair? Not just by yourself, but alongside someone else, knowing that we're, we're creating and forming this environment where we can grow together. Came across this, this idea this week, someone I was reading, he, and he said, It's not just enough that we believe the gospel as individuals. He said, We need to become the gospel as a community. And what does that mean? It means that it's not just enough for me personally to say yes to Jesus, but Jesus' goal is that the church would be the place where the world could see the heart of God, the love of God put on display. So yes, we believe in Jesus, but we are becoming the kind of community that in clear and in powerful ways 
will point the world to Christ. We join us in that.